I hate when my phone charger won't reach my bed. I hate when my little seats aren't heated. When I go to the bathroom and I forget my phone. Le mettre radio dans machine à laver, je commence à sentir. I hate it when my house is so big. I need two wireless waters. When my megan makes my hot water taste too cold. When I have to write my maid a check, but I forget her last name. Je pas qu'à écrire message et marcher en même temps. Je t'ai quitté casse-moi en bas. Moi, j'ai mes voisins bloqué internet là. I hate it when I tell them no pickles and they still give me pickles. Well, most of us hate to admit it and would never want to admit it, but we can be a really hard people to satisfy. You know, we have so much, but it's almost like we just naturally want to have more. Uh, and a lot of times our happiness is tied into what we have or tied into what's going on in our life. And so, so what would it take to really make you happy? Now, maybe you're the person here today who has everything that you want and you're completely satisfied with where you are and who you are, and that is awesome, awesome, awesome. But for the 95% of the rest of us who aren't completely there yet, what would it take? I mean, uh, uh, a new what? Would a new car make you happy? A new truck make you happy? A new job make you happy? A new relationship make you happy? make you happy? Or, or how many days off do you need? I'd be happy if I just had an extra week a year off or, or an extra two weeks a year or maybe every Wednesday, you know, that would make me happy. Or, or, or what would you need to change about yourself to make you happy? You know, if, if this were different or if that were different, or if I could just make or if my husband just would or if I could just get through this test or if I could just get through this sermon or if he would just get through this sermon or if I had better health or if I had a new boat or a new dress or a new TV or a new... What would it take to make you happy? In uh, the Gospels, Jesus tells a story of a man who was sowing seed and some of it fell along hard ground, and the birds of the air came and ate it before it could take root. Others fell in good soil, but it was shallow soil, and it sprang up quickly, but the heat of the sun scorched it. Others fell in good ground and produced fruit uh, 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 the way it was supposed to. But then there was a third type of soil he talks about, and that was a ground that was good enough to produce fruit, but yet it was filled with weeds and thorns. And he explains to his disciples what this means. And in Mark 4, he tells his disciples the, the thorns or the weeds or the roots that are keeping the, the seed from becoming all that it should be are the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things. And these things come into your life and they choke the word out and you become unproductive. God has invested his word in you. He's put his seed in you so that you would produce fruit and so that you would live a life that honors him and reflects his goodness and his glory. But oftentimes, Americans have problems with some of the weeds and roots that are in our life. Sometimes we struggle with the root of bitterness that we talked about a few weeks ago. Something happens to us, we get angry, we get bitter, and, and that root chokes out our joy. That bitterness does. And so the fix to that was forgiveness. We forgive, and that helps us to move past our, our anger, our bitterness. Last week, we talked about how worry can choke out the fruit uh, that God wants to establish in our life. 
And we talked about how trusting a Heavenly Father who loves us is the fix for that. This week, we're going to talk about the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things, or we might say the root of dissatisfaction. And we're going to talk about how God helps us to deal with that dissatisfaction with the, the principle of contentment. Now, let's talk about contentment today. What is contentment? Well, I think the first thing we'd say is it's satisfied. I'm satisfied with what I got. Uh, contentment would also be being grateful. It, it, with contentment, it's not just satisfaction, but there's also a grateful uh, attitude for what I have. But then there's also this, I'm at peace. If this is what I've got, I don't need any more to feel complete. I'm okay. Now, if that's the definition, that you're satisfied, you're grateful, and you're perfectly at peace... Maybe 95% of people being dissatisfied is not high enough. Maybe it's more folks than that. I had a pastor's meeting this week uh, with 40 or 50 pastors, and I asked guys, I'd like, I had a few of them who I meet with pretty regularly, and I said, I would like to know the names of the people who are really content in your life. I'll be honest, those six or seven guys that I pulled aside and asked them, I didn't get much response. My guess is, if I were to ask you, name off the people in your life who are really content. I mean, no matter if it's cold outside or sunshine, and if it's December or if it's September. I mean, if it's uh, where they payday or, <laughs> oh my day, they're content. How many people do you know? My guess is you could probably count them pretty quickly. Well, the reason is we live in a world that just breeds discontentment. You know, we're bombarded with the message that to be happy, you need more stuff, and, and uh, you need less wrinkles, you need a better vacation, you need fewer troubles. You know, if we're honest, most of us here struggle with being content. I try to be happy with what I have. You know, I, I, I try to... to not be jealous of what other people have or what they get to do or where they get to go on vacation or how many days. I, I try not to, to, to be dissatisfied. I want to be content, but it seems so slippery. And, and I, honestly, it's easy to get discouraged and think, I'll just never get there. I wasn't born that way. There's a few people in the world that were born content. I'm not one of those folks, and that's just the way it's always going to be. Well, today, I want you to understand that contentment's not beyond your reach and you can become a part of the 5%. Um, I want to take you to the clearest passage I know about contentment in the New Testament. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 is a letter written to the church at Philippi by the Apostle Paul. Uh, he's writing a letter to this church. He loves them. He loves them for several reasons. Uh, but, but one of the reasons is they were a financial partner with Paul. In his missionary travels, they supported him. When he was in prison, they sent finances to him uh, to help him out. And he was extremely grateful to them. Now, apparently, there was a time between one gift, gift A, and gift B that was a lot of time. And that had never really happened before. And Paul was probably wondering, hey, what gives? They've kind of quit helping. Do they not love me anymore? Have they quit thinking about me? And so Paul, um, uh, Paul, Paul they... They give the next gift to him, and Paul says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. And he kind of catches himself and says, I, I know you were concerned, but you didn't have opportunity to give. And there's a lot of reasons that could have happened. 
maybe they had tightened the rules in the jail where Paul was at and people couldn't slip stuff to him anymore. Or maybe uh, the person who had grown accustomed to, to, to taking the gift to Paul at the Philippian church, maybe that person had died. Or maybe the church just went through some hard times and there wasn't any extra nickels to spare, and so they couldn't help, but at last they're able to help again, and Paul expresses his gratitude uh, for their joy, but uh, for, for their gift, but he wants them to know, look, I appreciate you giving to me, but I don't want you to think the only reason I'm happy is because you have given this gift to me. Paul knows that God's going to take care of me regardless of what happens. He's going he, to take care of my situation whether I'm in prison or whether I'm not, and he doesn't want anyone to think that, that, that God has let him down. So listen to what he says next. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. Yeah, I'm thankful that you're helping me, but I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever state I am, whatever circumstances I face. I know what it is to be in need. I, I get that. I know what it is to have plenty. I, I've been there. I've learned the secret of being content. He says, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I, I know how to be content. So there's some lessons I want to draw from these verses today. Lesson number one. A person can be content regardless of their circumstances. Now, I don't know if we buy that or believe that, but that's the truth. You can, people are not in the 5% because of what they have. You can be content regardless of what you're facing. Notice what he says in verse 11. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. You see, we have a tendency to think I can be content as long as things go my way. If my health is good, I can be content. If my baby's sleeping, I can be content. Amen? Uh, if the light's green when I'm in a hurry, I can be content. But when it's not going well, it's harder to imagine the feelings of contentment. The problem is, in this world, you're going to have good and bad. If anybody peddles you junk that says, follow God and it'll always go well, they're lying. It rains on the just and the unjust. The sun shines on the bad people just like it does on the good people. Life happens. Life is life. And if your contentment is based on everything always going good, you're never going to have contentment because it's never going to always go good. If contentment is based on what you're facing you won't have it long. It'll be like a $20 bill in the hands of a teenager. Here today, your teenagers are much different than mine. Mine's here today and gone today, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, and that's the way your contentment will be. It will be here and it will be gone just like that. But real contentment has nothing to do with circumstances. Paul speaks of a contentment that transcends what's going on around you. And wouldn't you like to have that? I mean, let's be honest. We only want more stuff. We only want more time off. We only want to change some things because we like the feeling we think we'll have if that situation, circumstance, possession changes. Wouldn't it be nice just to be able to have that feeling regardless? Wouldn't it be nice to be content and at peace regardless? Listen to verse 12. I, I know 
how to be content in whatever circumstance. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content. And then he uses these kind of couplets here, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. It's a little harder to see in English, but these are all terms dealing with food. In their day, contentment was based on could I fill my bowl up. Let's be honest. None of us ever worry about this stuff. Ever. I mean... Not one of you are stressed out to the max that you're not going to eat this afternoon. Not one person in here. Except maybe the babies. They might be stressed out. But the rest of you, you know. I mean, in America, we don't have any concept of this. Uh, It's been since I was in Africa in 2002, 2003, when I watched grown men carrying around bowls with them. And I asked the missionary, I said, why does everybody carry their bowl? He said, because of their entire existence, is wondering if they can fill that up this afternoon. We just don't think about that. And so what we could do is we could just pass this, this passage and say, ah, I'm always fed, so it doesn't really matter. But I think the impact of this verse should transcend food. Contentment is not dependent upon material possessions. You can be content if you have very little, or you can be content if you have a lot. If you have a new car, or if you have a beater for a car. If you have a big house, or if you have no house. If you have a full billfold, or if you have my billfold. Remember my teenager situation. But anyhow, ever met a, have you ever met a person who seems to be waiting for the next thing to come along to make them happy? Man, if this just happened, if that just happened, if that, you've met that person, I've met that person. They've got a bad case of the gotta haves, but when they get what they gotta have, it doesn't pull off what they really wanted. Stuff has never brought contentment. If you hear nothing else I say today, everyone here, please hear this from the youngest to the oldest. Here's some old geezer telling you young people what to do, but here it is. Stuff will never make you happy. Stuff has never brought contentment. Material possessions never will bring you contentment. Take it from a person who when I got married we were making $150 a week back when that was still no money together as a family okay and our rent was $270 a month before utilities and I made $150 a week before taxes and that was our only income I know what it means to have nothing I make a lot more than that now and I know what it means to have more I can promise you I am no more content because of my stuff than I was when I had nothing My wife and I often talk, and some of y'all who are old enough to have gone through those struggles. You remember back when we didn't have anything, how happy we were? Guys, we're not lying to you. It's the truth. Material stuff has never brought contentment. How many stories have we heard of people who have a lot that are not happy? They're everywhere. Verse 11, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever uh, circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned. Catch this. Every Christian can learn to be content. That phrase, can be learned, I have learned, lets us surmise two things. Number one, it's Contentment is attainable. You might not be a part of the 95%, but that doesn't mean that you're predestined to be dissatisfied. You can be content. You should be content. Number two, contentment is not something you're born with. 
If you have to learn it, what does that tell you? You don't have it. You've got to learn it. The key question is, then how do you learn it? Well, some people say, you know, uh, they, they see people who are not content. They say, well, you know, they just need to go through hard times. If they went through hard times, they'd learn to be content. Try the cupboard empty for a while. That'd teach them. Well, if that was the case, everybody raised in poverty would be content. They'd never try to get out. But I don't see a lot of people in the lottery line who have a lot of stuff. Let's call it what it is. I was at Kmart yesterday. This story has absolutely nothing to do with my sermon, but humor me. I was at Kmart yesterday buying shoes because that's where I buy shoes because I'm smarter than most people. Because I buy shoes for 30 bucks and you buy them for two pair, by the way. <laughs> and you pay more. <laughs> but anyhow, I'm in Kmart and I'm standing there getting my shoes ready to check out. And there's like 140 people ready to check out. There's four cashiers waiting on them. And every person at the front of the line has a customer service issue. I'm serious. It was awful. I stood there for like 18 minutes, and that's like forever, you know, in line. And there's a guy in front of me. And, man, he's antsy. He's just pacing, and I can tell he doesn't have a dime to his name. And I don't know what's going on in his life, but you know me. I'm, I stand anywhere long enough, I'm going to talk to somebody. And so he's standing there, and I, I talked to him, and, and, and he said, man, this is awful. And I said, it is, isn't it? And I was just piling on, that was wrong. But anyhow, I did. And uh, he, I, he said, I've been here for a long time. I said, ah, yeah, I know. And he said, all I'm getting is these menthos. That's all he had. There was a lady who was buying the clothing department in front of him. And all he has is a little pack of, is it mentos or menthos? The little things that I don't eat. But anyhow... That's all he has. And I said, man, you're waiting all this time for that? And he said, man, i got to get money to play the lottery machine up there. And I thought, how sad that you'd give up an hour of your life to buy those things so that you could play that thing. Now, that had absolutely nothing to do with anything. But what I've seen is the people who I see standing in line waiting to get rich one day are people who don't have anything. So if we were to say people just had to have hard times to learn to be with content, then why are the folks who are already having hard times not content? Second, people would say, well, what we really need to do is just redistribute the wealth. If we just give people who don't have anything a little bit more, that would make them happy. But we all know people who were raised with lots of stuff and were miserable. You know, it's... They weren't satisfied. They get caught up comparing themselves with the Joneses. And, and experience, regardless of what you experience, doesn't teach contentment. Now, parents, I would say to you, teach your kids to be content. But the problem is you can't. It's not something you can force on them. You can teach them gratitude. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. You can take stuff away from them until they appreciate the little stuff they have left, but you can't teach the heart. You can't make them joyful. You can't make them content. So how is contentment found? How's a person learn it? Well, the answer is, I guess I could be overly simplistic and say, well, you've got to have a relationship with Jesus. You know, because there's a God-shaped hole in all of us. Augustine said, every heart is restless until it finds rest in God. Until a person gives their heart and life to Christ, they're going to be empty, they're going to be missing something, they're not going to be content. And, and for 10% for of y'all here today who maybe never given your heart and life to Jesus, that's you. 
You're never going to get there. You can't cross over into the 5% without Jesus. You will always be dissatisfied. But, now let's be honest, 90% of us who've given our heart and life to Jesus, we've all seen people who walk the aisle, give their life to Jesus, and are not content with what they have. How do we learn contentment and pull out that root that's causing us to lose our joy? How do we learn satisfaction that enables us to reflect the glory of God and the image of Jesus in our life. Well, let's dig through this passage. Let's go back up in, into chapter 4, into verse 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Guys, we should be rejoicing in the Lord. You want to start gaining contentment? Remind yourself of what you have in Jesus. You are saved from sin. You are a sinner that should be destined to hell. But because of Christ, you've been saved. You have been promised that, that Christ will be with you always, no matter where you go, whether you're in the slums or whether you're in the suburbs, whether you're sitting on top of a pile of money or whether you're trying to dig out of a pile of debt. Christ has, says, has said he will be with you always. He, he has said he will always love you, no matter how much of a mess up you prove to be. He has promised he will always love you because of the cross. So the first thing you do, if you want to learn contentment, you wake up in the morning and you say, Lord, regardless of what I have today, I know you still love me. Lord, regardless of what happens today, I know that will not change the fact that you love me. Lord, regardless of who treats me poorly today, you will always treat me well. You have proven that. Remind yourself of what you have in Jesus. And then verse 5, I love what he says in verse 5. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. My question would be, when the feelings of discontentment arise, do, people, do you rejoice in the Lord and do people see this rejoicing in you? Um, does anybody's Bible say anything besides gentleness? Gentle spirit? Any others? Reasonableness. Some Bibles say graciousness, some say gentle spirit, some say gentleness. I, I love the translation that says, let your reasonableness be evident to all men. If you have a heavenly Father who loves you, and you have a God who's forgiven you, isn't it reasonable for you to be rejoicing? Doesn't that just make sense? Happy in Jesus? Sure it does. So we should let our gentleness, our reasonableness be evident to all. And then listen to what the next part of the verse says. For the Lord is near. Now that can mean a couple things. The Lord is near can mean that the Lord's standing right next to you. Amen. He is with us wherever we go. And the Lord ought to see our rejoicing in him. And we ought to be satisfied in him. What does it say to the Lord if we're saying, you know, I'm just so miserable. I don't have the most up-to-date iPhone 17s, whatever. I don't have that. What does that say? Uh, the cross is good, but this thing really brings me or what does it say when well, I wish I could go on vacation to Disney World and spend $500 on a family of four to complain the whole time we're there I wish I could do that what, do, what does it say the Lord is right here he's near us think about that the next time you start to grumble or complain imagine if the Lord were right beside you and the Bible even teaches he's closer than that. He is in you. Another, what could another 
uh, translation. Go back to that verse, if you would, for just a second. What could another translation of the Lord is near mean? What's that? He's coming back. The Lord's coming back. And do we really want to be a people who are discontent and not satisfied when the Lord returns for us? The Lord is near. Now, I think the lesson is what I just showed you just a second ago. Remember, this life is temporary. I mean, guys, we want, we think we've got to have, we hold on to, we treasure stuff in this life, but it's fleeting. I can't say this enough. I say it over and over and over and over. We live in bondage to decay. We're all slipping. We grow for a while, we get to the pinnacle, and then the downhill goes fast. And this life vanishes before our eyes. And we hold on. You're only discontent about stuff that you don't have in this life. That's what, if you have Christ, because Christ fills that eternal part of you, but you're only discontent about stuff that's vanishing and leaving. Paul's saying, rejoice in the Lord always. Let your, it's just reasonable for you to do this. The Lord is near. You're going to spend forever with him. It's going to be okay. And then he says, pray when you're struggling. L listen to the next verse. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything. Pray. You know, don't worry. Don't stress out. Don't want. Don't have to have. Don't be discontent in every situation. Pray. Ask God. Give thanks for what you have. Present your request to God. And the next verse I don't have on the screen says, The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts. What do you want? You want peace. Why are you discontent? Because you want stuff. Why don't you chase after the peace instead of the stuff, and God will give you that peace. And then he would tell us to focus on the good things. Verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You know, don't think about the guy to have, think about what you already got. Now, people who find good in people and situations are a lot more content. Now, let me, I almost didn't give you those four points, but I couldn't make my sermon long enough, so I did. That's a joke. Cold weather does something to y'all people. Come on. <laughs> no, I, I just love that passage. Is the reason we walk through it. But you want to know what the real key to contentment is? Live for Jesus, not for yourself. Philippians one twenty one. Paul says, "For me to live is Christ, or for, and to die is gain." His joy is in Jesus, not in his stuff. He's living for Christ and not for himself. He realized his life was designed to reflect God's glory. So when he had a bad day and he had little resources and he was dealing with frustrating people, he didn't hold his fist up and say, God, what are you doing to me? Oh. He, he said, God, use this for your glory. See, that's where a lot of us, we are not there. We just want God to make our life easy. God created you to reflect his glory. If you're going to reflect the glory of Jesus, you will have to endure hardship. You will have to endure difficult people. You will have to learn to sing in the rain. You just have to. 
when he had a great day and everything was easy and people were accommodating. He said, I can hear Paul saying, this is nice, God, but I pray this day was for your glory. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, this is why, that is why for Christ's sake, because I'm living for Christ, not for myself. I'm living for Jesus. That's why for his sake, I, de- I delight, I take comfort in, I am content in my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. How do he do this? Well, he finds strength to be satisfied in Jesus. And then the final verse of the passage that we were looking at today. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now this is one of the most oft quoted verses in the New Testament and one of the most misquoted verses in the New Testament. How many of you are old enough to remember Evander Holyfield? Any of y'all remember him? Okay, for those of you who are not, he was a boxer. It's been about 15 years ago. Uh, undersized guy, tough as nails type of guy. Uh, Evander Holyfield, I believe, was a Christian. He kind of proclaimed that. Only God knows a man's heart, but he would wear a robe out when he would fight, and on the back of his robe it had this verse, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now the implication is, is I can beat the guy in front of me to a pulp. Right? You know. Well, he did. One time he beat Mike Tyson, beat him down. One time he was wearing that robe. I can do all things. He was also wearing that robe whenever Lennox Lewis beat him so bad he was barely recognizable. See, here's the deal. This verse is not to tell you, you can do whatever you want, whenever you want it, because Jesus lives in you. Wrong. You can do whatever he wants for his glory, because Jesus lives in you. He wants you to be content. You can do it if Jesus lives in you. I ask these pastors, who do you know? I got about six responses. Not much, really. One of the, some of the people they told me about, some of the six had absolutely nothing. That was their story. They have nothing, and yet they seem happy. A couple of them were, man, they just have everything, and they just give it away like they don't care if they have it or not. But contentment didn't seem to be attached to their stuff. Some of them were young, and they were still heading up that mountain. Some of them were older, and they, would, they were on the rapid decline. One was a missionary. One was the wife of an alcoholic. But you know what the common denominator was? They loved Jesus, and they were living for him. As I thought about their responses, I thought, you know, contentment really is... A believer's one of the believers' most powerful testimony. I, I, have you noticed I finished each one of these things this way? Worry. If you can learn not to worry and trust, what a powerful testimony when people see that. If you can learn to forgive instead of getting bitter when somebody does wrong, we've all heard stories about the testimony of people who've forgiven and how that's changed people's lives. If you can learn to be content when you don't have, what a powerful testimony. We need to live lives that demand an explanation. Man, you're in the worst marriage I've ever seen, and yet you seem to be all right. Well, I, you know, I have this relationship with Jesus, and yeah, I wish things were better, but I mean, 
Jesus is enough. You know, uh, your company's closing and you should be stressed out and freaking out. And you're acting, well, he says that he takes care of the birds of the air. I, I guess he's going to take care of me. It's going to be all right. Well, you could afford to live beyond what you do. Why don't you? Well, I feel like I got enough. Stuff's never made me happy. Well, you're so generous with what God has given you. I mean, what about your 401k? You know, I mean, you only have enough to live to 120. I mean, what are you going to do? Well, you know, I just feel like that God wants me to be. Guys, does anyone ever ask you why you're different? People should be asking you why you're different. They do the 5%, I guarantee you. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would use the words that uh, I've shared today. Lord, you've convicted me through them, Lord, as I prepared and thought and studied. Lord, help me to be satisfied with what you give and what you see fit to, to trust that you know best. And even when the rain comes and situations are hard, help me, Lord, to be content in the fact that you love me and you are with me and you'll never leave me. And Lord, when you do bless and you give beyond what we could expect. Lord, help me to not be so misguided that I want even more than that. Father, I pray, Lord, you'd be with this people, that you would help them to uh, be satisfied in Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. We're going to have a time of invitation now. Maybe you've never given your heart and life to Jesus. We're going to all stand. Go ahead and stand. In just a moment, we're going to start to sing. And when we sing, you can come. If you've never given your heart and life to Jesus, I'm going to be sitting here on one of these pews. If you'll just come up and stand beside me and say, I don't know how to give my life to Jesus. How do I do that? I'll be glad to tell you. Maybe you're here today and uh, you've never been baptized. We're going to be baptizing folks for the next few weeks. And uh, you've accepted Christ, but you've never followed the Lord in baptism. I I'd love for you today to make a really... I'm so satisfied with Jesus, I want everybody to know it. And I'm going to follow him in baptism. You can come. We've had people join the church the last couple weeks. If you'd like to do that, you could come as well. We'd be glad to tell you how you could do that. Um, maybe you just need to come to the altar and say, Lord, whew, uh, I'm sorry for not being satisfied with what you've done. Or maybe there's something else on your heart. You just, uh, a bad week at work that you don't know where to turn or... Uh, trouble in relationships and you don't know how to deal you know the altar is open here guys what i love about the altar it's just kind of submitting and saying god i don't know where to turn but you you know and and it's kind of one of those things where you almost got to say i don't care what anybody thinks you know i'm just turning to you god so you're welcome to come uh maybe you want to come and you want to take uh, uh communion today and and just uh take and, and thank the Lord for what he's done. You're welcome to do that as well. But we're going to sing, um, and, and you come as God leads you.